0: Weird, ghostly, and supernatural antics of the radio. The San Francisco Examiner, September 13th, 1931. Strange voices in the air, music from a radiator, a pot of beans singing Ave Maria on the stove, a bathroom mirror that talked, etc., etc. All easily explained by science. Science but spread reports of unearthly powers of wireless waves to ruin health and persecute helpless victims. Miss Anne Lee Hill was cooking a pot of beans on the stove in a ranch house near Santa Barbara, California. As the water began to bubble, the music from a violin sounded from the pot, and then a voice began to sing Gunaud's Ave Maria in French. There was no other human being in the house, no other musical instrument, and no radio set within a mile. When Mrs. A.W. Morell of Jackson Heights, Long Island, stepped in front of her bathroom mirror the other night, a sneeze and a voice came from the mirror saying, Here's looking at you. Mr. Terry Turner of West 72nd Street, New York, sold his radio set and sent it out of the house entirely. And yet that evening when Mr. Turner came home, a musical program greeted his ears from the spot where the radio set used to be, near the steam radiator. A laborer who owned no radio set reached for his iron shovel one Sunday morning to do a little work in the garden. Suddenly, the pious shovel greeted his astonished ears with the Lord's Prayer and followed this with a hymn from a church organ. These are a few of the instances of what are known as radio ghosts, which are discussed in more detail further on in this article. Scientists understand the reason why that pot of beans sang the Ave Maria and why Mr. Turner's radiator took up the job of giving the evening program after the radio set had been taken out of the house. These weird antics of the wireless waves are going on here and there all over the world, but in some localities, they are exceptionally varied and uncanny. Iron stoves and radiators that talk. Chicken wire or tennis court fences that give market reports, sink drains that reproduce a melodious symphony more clearly than a loudspeaker, antenna poles that arc and sing when touched, and music everywhere are a few of the oddities at shortwave radio station W8XK near Pittsburgh, PA. The antics of this radio station are well known in the neighborhood and to farmers and schoolchildren for miles around. The whole atmosphere surrounding the radio building in Wilkins Township is charged with high-frequency currents. The strongest part of the electric field is the building itself, but its effects are felt in the neighbors' homes at considerable distances. Visitors at the station are first shown the famous singing antenna pole. A tall wooden mast supporting one of the 49-meter aerials will give off a large blue arc when touched with a wire or a metal pole. This arc will sing, play, or announce, depending on the particular program broadcast from the station at that time. The signals are loud and as clear as from the speaker of a fine receiving set. If the pole is taken hold of, the hand being protected only by a rubber glove, the whole arm will become warm as an electric therapeutic treatment. Prolonged exposure will cause burns, but not the slightest shock can be felt. Another classic experiment of the station attendant is to use the stray currents to fry eggs on a block of ice. These men also tell of hot light switches and water faucets which sing and warm the hand when touched. These are all grounded now. High-frequency burns are unpleasant but were not uncommon when the station first opened. Attendants also mystify visitors by electric bulbs which light when grasped in the hand or when touched to a radiator or stove or a metal doorknob. These bulbs are the ordinary variety, but no current connection is necessary to light them when the station is in operation. Mrs. A.B. Zerby, who lives a short distance from the radio station building, scolded her husband one evening for coming to bed without turning off the radio set. Mr. Zerby was sure he had shut off the set, but the radio program still continued. He got up to see and found that the set had been turned off. An investigation proved that the radiator in his den was the offender. Barn dance music was distinctly heard coming from it. Mrs. Zerbe has since often listened to WX-8K transmitting to an expedition at the South Pole or giving the daily baseball scores without the inconvenience or expense of turning on her radio set. Her light bill has also been considerably reduced since the installation of the station. Whenever the broadcast is operating on wavelengths with which certain of her lighting circuits are in tune, the high frequency will illuminate her lamp even though the electricity in the house is shut off. An old-fashioned stove in the basement of a nearby schoolhouse furnishes entertainment to children during recess. The stove is no longer used to heat the room, but the children find it a reliable substitute for a radio receiving set. Programmers may also be clearly heard on the school telephone, sometimes so loud that the conversation is drowned out. To engineers at the radio station, these phenomena are not mysterious. The musical antenna pole is a simple variation of the singing arc, well known to physicists. The human body furnishes sufficient capacity to build a high-frequency arc between a wire held in the hand and the charged pole. No shock is felt, These currents are of such high frequency that they travel over the surface of the body instead of through it. The carrier frequencies on the antenna, varying with the modulation of the voice or musical instrument, will cause the arc to set up the vibrations of audible frequencies in the air. The cast of the stove and the radiator is likewise simply explained. Any poor connection at the station will cause an arc, and even though it be very small, if the stove is attuned to it, signals will be produced. A crystal effect between dissimilar metals will produce music from a wire fence around a tennis court at the station. If the terminals of a pair of earphones of the type familiar to radio pioneers be touched to the fence, the program is heard distinctly music song or market reports, whatever it happens to be. All this is perfectly well understood by radio engineers. But such astonishing things seem uncanny to those who are not radio experts. It is not surprising that supernatural powers are attributed to radio waves and that many people have attributed illness, misfortune, and hoodoos to the malevolent influence of radio black magic. Thus the mysterious waves of the radio have been blamed for droughts, floods, earthquakes, heat, cold, headaches, stomach aches, the withering of vegetation, and even death of animals and human beings. Mental hospitals are full of people whose heads are ringing with voices and music that nobody else can hear, and therefore they are convinced that they have become walking radio receiving sets. But people outside of institutions also suffer from the same delusions. And one man went to court because he was sure that the waves from a New York broadcasting station gave him cramps every time he crossed 42nd Street. Fakers who are always quick to seize upon popular delusions are doing business here and there, correcting these mysterious and hostile forces... Healers sent out healing thought waves over the radio, and credulous people have actually stuck their heads into loudspeakers to get the full benefit. Serious-minded physicians have a rather hard time with such patients. Auditory hallucinations, as these imaginary voices are called, were a common enough symptom of mental disorder long before radio. But if the doctor tries to tell a patient that, the victim of the delusions can mention the radio ghosts' equally weird and mysterious phenomena that are real. In olden times, delusions of voices and hauntings and invisible persecutions were common among people with unbalanced minds. The famous Tom O'Bedlam, who wandered about the English countryside, was an example. The original Tom believed that moonbeams pursued him with malevolence, and bats and toads excised magic spells over him. So common were these delusions of unseen influences that halfwits were called Tom o'Bedlam's, And there were hundreds of them. They went about in wild attire, partly naked, with a collection of vegetables in their hats. They made strange grimaces, utterly wild cries, and wandered about town and country frightening or entertaining people. The unfortunates professed to see imaginary snakes, dragons, monsters, and ogres, and heard voices and felt unseen influences. At times they would see blood on the face of the moon, dragons in the sun, and other portentous phenomena. But nowadays, very real voices are heard, and other seemingly supernatural things are happening all the time. A radio fan turns off the switch, and the set goes dark, but keeps right on with music. The owner of a super starts to tune in, but instead of a station finds he is listening in on a telephone conversation between a man and a girl. Cellars are haunted by ghostly voices and musical instruments. Doors, faucets, and bed springs suddenly burst into song, Everyone has read that x-rays can pass through a wall and cause injuries to persons on the other side. Therefore, many cannot see why radio waves, strong enough to travel around the world, should not be able to do damage to persons in a similar way. There are many reasons for knowing that this is not so, and that they have no effect on the animal or vegetable kingdoms, except perhaps when a carrier pigeon flies right over a broadcasting station. The most obvious reason is the fact that just as doctors who worked with X-rays were the first and almost only victims, so also would be the men and women who work in broadcasting stations and all day are under the full influence of the rays at close range. But employees of radio stations are never victims of such delusions because they know too much about radio. Not long ago, a victim of radio headache said that the doctors had given him up. They had in disgust because they could not convince him that even the worst program could not give anyone a pain unless he got within range of a loudspeaker. However, the patient cured himself by placing a coil of wire in his hat with two ends sticking up in the air like antennae. The man was perfectly serious, and although he insisted on the papers printing a description of his invention for the benefit of humanity, he seems to not have tried to make any money out of it. The doctors knew they could probably have cured him with some such faith cure trick, but he would have shown the apparatus around, and they might have been set down as frauds. Professor A.M. Lowe, a well-known British physicist, cured a patient with a similar contraption. The victim, a young woman, began as usual by hearing mysterious voices. Presently, there appeared a second typical symptom of internal sensations. In this instance, the delusion proceeded to even more definite symptoms of distress such as reddening patches on the skin that looked as if they had been burned. Persons not familiar with the records of mental disorders and their queer tricks would have little doubt that these visible signs on the skin indicated that something real was wrong with the woman. She did not imagine those red spots because anyone could see them. Experienced physicians, however, are familiar with the fact that such skin disturbances can be created entirely by mental delusions. Furthermore, in some cases, they can be caused consciously and voluntarily. This patient received no benefit from such salves and internal treatment as the doctors have because she believed that radio waves caused the trouble, and the doctors admitted that their medicine was not aimed at that cause at all. Then she chanced to get in touch with Professor Lowe, and very wisely that scientist made no effort to combat the victim's delusions. An attempt to tell the deluded person that he is wrong is not the way alienists well know to remove the delusion. Instead of argument, Professor Lowe admitted immediately that the effects were real and that radio might possibly cause these effects. As a cure, he prescribed a suit of metal underwear made out of ordinary wire screen like that used in windows. As a matter of physical fact, Such underwear would have little or no effect on the radio waves striking against the body. The cure, however, was complete. All that was necessary was to persuade the victim of the delusion that adequate means had been taken to prevent the supposed action of the waves. A distinguished New York alienist does not hesitate to treat radio diseases by solemnly prescribing an asbestos vest. Anyone who knows anything about radio understands that such a garment would have even less effect than wire-netting lingerie. But then a person who knew that much would not suffer from a delusion of radio aches and pains, so it would work like a charm. Radio pills made out of flour and water, if given the assurance that they would neutralize the radio waves as they pass through the body, would work just as well. The only necessary ingredient is plenty of faith. Faith is a sure cure for imaginary diseases. Unfortunately, if faith is strong enough, it can go beyond imaginary ones and sometimes seem to cure real ailments. If a person has a pain that is not imaginary, it is usually evidenced that something is wrong and that the conscientious physician is less concerned in relieving the pain, which is only a symptom, than in removing its cause. But faith healers have often succeeded in temporarily relieving an ache or at least making the patient no longer realize its existence until the disease that causes it has progressed so far as to be incurable. How can the medical fraternity be so cocksure that these radio diseases are imaginary when they cannot deny the existence of fully estranged radio ghosts? For instance, Mrs. George Lotterhoos, who was then Miss Anley Hill, was cooking a mess of beans in the kitchen of a ranch house outside of Santa Barbara, as already briefly mentioned above. She then transferred them from a pan to a large iron pot and promptly began to hear music. There was not even a receiving set within one mile of the place, and yet she heard a violin and a voice singing in French. Miss Hill, who was alone in the house, recognized Gunnod's Ave Maria, and finally, after looking everywhere else first, put her ear down to the pot and discovered that the music was coming up to her out of the simmering beans. Though not superstitious, Miss Hill was alarmed. She was apparently hearing things, which is as bad as seeing things, and anyone who is that way ought to find out what's wrong. She ran out and brought in members of the family and neighbors who, much to Miss Hill's relief, heard it too. Presently, an announcer's voice identified the source of the music as one of the Los Angeles stations. That, however, did not explain how a common cooking pot miraculously turned into a receiving set and, if so, why a human head could not do the same. Clifford No, an engineer employed on the place, got radio engineers interested in tracing the spook. First, they suspected it had gotten in through telephone or power lines from Los Angeles, both of which are connected to the house. But tests ruled these out. Finally, they determined that the ghost sneaked in underground. From Los Angeles, the waves traveled out along a metallic stratum of rock. At the edge of the kitchen is a deep underground cistern in this stratum. Water is piped from the cistern to the kitchen, and it was found that the pipes touched a brass tape running across the floor and making contact with the electric range. When one stepped on that tape, sometimes he got an electric shock, which turned out to be due to a short circuit in the range, which was also grounded to the earth. All these rather unusual circumstances brought the radio waves to the bottom of the pot in half cycles. The loose contact between the electric burner and the pot acted as a condenser, cutting the radio waves down to a frequency low enough to be heard. Vibrating at that frequency, the pot bottom sent out the waves. As soon as any of the arrangements were disturbed, the pot became silent. In order for a human head or other body parts to do as much, It would have to be hooked up with some such complicated combinations of metals, and the moment the person moved, he would cease to be a receiving set. Because of her experience, Mrs. Lottawhose received letters telling of similar queer experiences. One woman had the disc wheels of her automobile turn into loudspeakers, giving off a radio program as she drove through the shallow water of a creek. No one could blame Mr. A.W. Morell of Jackson Heights, Long Island for giving his wife a hard look when she woke him up after midnight with the information that the bathroom mirror had just sneezed at her and then said, Here's looking at you. He rubbed his eyes and went with her to the bathroom where, sure enough... The mirror had gotten quite garrulous. It was saying, I heard you call me, and you and I gave you a call, but QRM was bad when you came back. You were QSA-3 R-4. Suddenly, a small girl's voice chirped in from the mirror. Hello there, Uncle Ernest. I haven't seen you for 6 years. The Morells, middle-aged conservative residents of Cedar Court, an attractive apartment development, were amazed. They had long since doubted the existence of Alice in Wonderland and were skeptical of Houdini's ability to return to life in a shaving mug, but there they were, ghosts in their white-tiled and glistening white bathroom. The spooks from the gist of the conversation were having a family party for Uncle Ernest. All addressed him, but he seemed to be permitting them to do all the talking. It was a one-way conversation, like a telephone call. "'Family gossip was interrupted at times by a curious code talk "'by the man with the Houdini voice. "'Dr. Wilson made it possible for me to speak,' said a woman's voice. "'I hope you are well and that the weather is fine in Cleveland. Goodbye." "'Mr. Morell, a businessman who directs the distribution of machines "'which perforate paychecks, "'immediately thought that he had the solution "'which would puncture the mystery. "'He hurried out to the radio receiving set in his living room. "'It was off, silent.' He examined the medicine chest, tapped the walls, but discovered nothing. The Morels had a radio ghost. Their cabinet mirror was, for no known reason, picking up a radio conversation. Often the voice from the mirror became so loud that it can be heard in the bedroom and parlor. As a result, Mrs. Morell suffers from radio insomnia, which is real enough. As usual, the identity of the ghosts was found quickly. But why they haunt that one medicine cabinet mirror and no other part of the house is not yet known. In the basement of a big apartment house where the Morels live, Dr. Herbert L. Wilson, consulting electrical engineer, operates a well-equipped amateur radio station. He and his family and friends had to admit that they were the ghosts. But when Mr. Morell asked what they were doing in his wife's bathroom, they could not answer. And though the cabinet and mirror have been examined and the walls sounded and the pipes studied, still nobody knows. Two years ago, a farmhouse near Belmore, Long Island remained untenanted because from roof to cellar it resounded with the strains of a radio set that did not exist. Nobody could tell where it came from except that it was a little louder in the cellar. But when one was in the cellar, it seemed to come from the dining room above. The ghost was partial to WEAF programs and was never known to tune into any others. The owner, Mrs. Lou Greenemeyer, appealed to the National Broadcasting Company experts to exercise the ghost for her, but they could not do it until three of them moved into the house. Walls and metallic fittings were taken apart. The sleuths agreed the loudest music came from the dining room floor. In the cellar below was located an old water system consisting of a tank, a pump, and pipes encrusted with green corrosion. An electric wire was touching one of the corroded pipes. When the wire was lifted from the pipe, the contact was broken and the ghost music ceased. The three radio engineers decided that the water system had formed a complete receiving station. The electric wire was the antenna, the water pipe was the grounding wire, the corrosion on the pipe was the rectifier, the water served as a condenser, and the living room floor, actuated by the vibration in the pipe, was the loudspeaker. The ghost was laid, and Mrs. Greenemeyer gained new tenants— Better than that, by connecting or disconnecting the wire to the pipes, the tenants can now turn the ghostly radio on and off as they please, and the spook has now become an asset instead of a liability to the property. Terry Turner, a theatrical booking agent living at 253 West 72nd Street, New York City, had a radio set which was grounded by a wire to the steam radiator. There was nothing unusual about the set's behavior, and after a while, he disposed of it, sending it out of the house entirely. But the ghost of the set remained. That very evening, when he sat down in the living room, the radiator to which it had been grounded gave him a faint but clear program of the station that is now WPCH. Investigation showed that the station, at the time, was only three blocks away in the Majestic Hotel, since torn down, and that he had left the ground wire still attached to the radiator. The wire happened, by a freak of luck, to be just the right length to act as an antenna and pick up a harmonic or overtone of the station's wavelength. The radiator, being crude cast metal, acted as a rectifying element or detector, much as the old-time crystals did, cutting the frequency down to the range of the ear. A Newark woman purchased a radio set and it worked fine for a month. She listened nightly to WOR. One night she turned on the set, heard the program, became sleepy, and then switched it off, preparing to go to bed. But the set, though turned off, kept playing. The woman experimented a while, but then, convinced it was haunted, picked it up and threw it into the yard. Her husband later retrieved it, summoned radio engineers from WOR, and they took the set to a laboratory, took it apart, and found that the apparent phenomenon was caused by a metal filing short-circuiting the filament circuit, allowing a faint current too feeble to make the tubes glow to pass. The set played faintly, though apparently the low-burning filament tubes were not lighted. The set was repaired and sent back to the woman. Veterans of the NBC staff who were attached to station W.E.A.F. in the old days tell of a woman who rushed into the studio and registered a vigorous protest against W.E.A.F. operating on the same frequency as my bed springs. She claimed W.E.A.F. programs were being reproduced in her bed coils. Later, a man appeared at the same studio asserting that the broadcasts were coming through his bathtub. He demanded that it be stopped. These cases were not investigated. The woman was advised to write the manufacturer of those noisy bed springs and the man to tell his troubles to his plumber. People should not kick about it, they thought. They ought to be glad that they were getting entertainment free without buying a set or even a single tube, they were told. In Des Moines, Iowa, an elevator man found to his surprise and pleasure that the signal box in his car showing what floors were calling him had for some mysterious reason converted itself into a receiving set. And now all day he is entertained by everything a local station puts on the air. In New Jersey, a telegraph operator found that his instrument was not merely making clicks, but giving off words and music. WABC New York, the key broadcasting station of the Columbia Network, was invaded one day by an indignant man who demanded that the station stop broadcasting because it gave him a terrible pain. Well, don't listen to us if you don't like us, they suggested. I don't listen, said the man, but I get your waves just the same. It is especially bad when I cross 42nd Street near Times Square. Then your radio waves cause a violent pain in the abdomen and right side. If you don't stop it, I'll have appendicitis or something. The Columbia people were sorry, but thought it would be less trouble for him to move out of town than for them. The man called a policeman and finally hired a lawyer to start a civil suit to close down the station on account of his stomach. But the court threw out the suit. Probably what was needed was a nice asbestos vest and a pair of mosquito wire shorts. Right, right. A ghost radio station whose announcer was Mr. Graham Cracker, a burlesque name for the NBC announcer Graham McNamee, came into being at New Haven, Connecticut recently, and could be heard all over one of the Yale dormitories, but nowhere else. The president of the university and many other sedate members of its faculty learned that ghosts of their voices had been making wild-eyed red speeches— These were followed by what purported to be the president of Harvard and other dignitaries speaking in a most unexpected vein. It was all a result of one of those tricks that the radio is continually playing. A Yale junior had just rigged up a new receiving set one evening, but lacking an aerial, he had used his steam radiator for that and found a ground also. The reception was disappointing, but the boys next door burst in with the information that everything they said could be heard in their set, and also that it was coming from their radiator. By turning on the full power, it was found that all the radiators in the building could be made to talk. The new set had unexpectedly become a local broadcasting station, very local because it could not be heard outside of that dormitory. Beside the fact that people who work in broadcasting studios never suffer from radio diseases, There are other reasons for knowing that the waves emitted from the stations are harmless to life. Radio waves are not a new thing, created by man. The only novelty about the waves is that man has regulated them in such a way as to use them to carry words, music, and other signals. A year or two ago, Paris physicians discovered an individual who believed that he could smell by radio. The sounds of a broadcast church service, for example, creating an illusion of the smell of the candles before the altar. This particular delusion was ascribed by the psychologists, however, to the well-known phenomena called the mixture of the senses, a peculiar mental twist in which sound seems to produce sensations of color in which messages from other senses get confused in the brain.